This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hamling and I'm here to guide you through our review of a second successive Palace victory. Aston Villas were the visitors to Sellers Park and Roy's boys secured a 1-0 victory in a composed and dominant display despite some late controversy. We'll look back at the game and also cover some of the key topics requested by you, the listeners. I'll introduce you to my panel in just a moment. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, it's time to introduce you to my panel. First up, Chris Clark. Hello, Chris. You okay? I am delightful. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad um, now that I've managed to mop up the uh, gin that went everywhere about two minutes before we were due to start recording. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you described it to me as expensive gin as well. Yeah, it's um, Tanqueray Sevilla, um, mm. which is quite nice um, and orangey. Um, other gins are available, but um, if they want to send us any for free, then that's also cool. Well, I'm drinking gin as well, but I'm drinking gin and tonic out of a can, uh, and I got Lossy. these cans from from Lidl. So it's uh, it's 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 Finton's gin, you know Finton's, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, so this Finton's uh, London Dry Gin is created with seven carefully selected botanicals, but you're not allowed to know what they actually are. Um, but can I say for eighty five pence, it is it is delicious. It sounds like we ought to test this with Dr. Mm. Dr. Dr. Doesn't drink though, does he? So well, yeah, but let's just Finton's. not tell him. Let's just not tell him there's alcohol in gin. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure he might figure that out. Hey, come on, you would you want to see Dr. on on gin anyway? Uh, also with us, Mike. Hi, Mike. Imagine imagine breaking edge um, for a Aldi or Lidl's 85p gin. That'd be absolutely amazing. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to stick with the house in this evening. Thanks. Uh, I just got to have a bit of a rant, really. I, I'm, I think I'm two weeks into giving up vaping after giving up smoking, realizing that, uh, you know, whereas I was smoking about five cigarettes a day, I was on probably the equivalent of a hundred cigarettes vaping. So I stopped. 
Um, it's quite hard at the moment. I, I'm feeling a bit, a bit touchy. Um, but I definitely feel better. My lungs have stopped feeling like they're on fire. Um, and I do feel like when I initially said that vaping's not going to cause anyone any harm, I think it probably does. So, uh, yeah. If I'm I, grumpy, as a, sorry. As an observation, uh, when I've witnessed you vape, you uh, you vape like an old man smokes. There's a real <laughs> after you get the uh, vape into your mouth. Yeah, well, and, for, um, for about the last five years of me smoking, I only Irish waterfilled. Um so like I never took it down my throat; it just straight up my nose. So um, yeah, I, I do do smoke like an old man on on uh, Hamlet cigars, definitely. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Also, um, I wanted to quickly discuss with you because Chris missed this because he decided to go elsewhere, a pub basically, whereas we went and did uh, a little po- uh, post match video for uh, for our followers and um, interrupted in quite a spectacular way, wasn't it? Uh, and he denied all knowledge. Yeah, uh, so Dr. does the recording because he's got the the biggest phone and stuff. It bothers me a little bit because I'm so much taller than him. It's just sticking a camera up my nose. Uh, it's not very flattering. But about uh, halfway through or two thirds of the way through, his mum called uh, to check that he remembered that he was getting his flight to Turkey yesterday. Because um, yeah. that, that's the kind of thing that you just forget, isn't it? You know that you're that you're flying to a different country. If you're Dr. Typical yes. mum stuff. Well, maybe, maybe. Um, but so I got to for the first time hear him speak his native tongue, and it was uh, it was quite quite enlightening. And he he got angry in that way that you only get angry with your mum. Yeah, it was glorious, I have to say. And um, she called a second time as well as he was trying to restart the video, and that was to point out that it was raining and did he want a lift? Now, from where we were to where Dr lives was five minute walk so i don't know i think his mum probably feels that she has to look after him quite a lot and anyone who listens regularly to this show will probably understand that but there we go so let's um let's get on with the show really and i want to start before we get into talking about the game i really want to start with talking about one man and that man is jordan Ayu. um another fantastic performance uh three starts um in, in recent memory that, that he's become man of the match fantastic effort all game and now really starting to chip in with the goals as well um, just the confidence you can see is, is sort of starting to flow uh, and I think the, I think he, he's won Roy over by the fact that he's first and foremost doing the kind of defensive work that, that Roy asks of a striker and it seems much more natural for, for Ayu to do that than perhaps for Christian Benteke or, or or maybe Connor Wickham and, and other players like that. I think Roy's now got the trust in him that he understands the system, he understands you know how the game flows. But it's just great to see. There was a lot of criticism of signing IU in the first place. I don't think we were amongst that. I certainly wasn't. I thought it was an incredible deal for the money, even if he was just a squad player. But now it looks like an insane bargain because just, just how well he's playing. Well, I've got to say, last season... I definitely made the odd joke about him. Um, and when there was rumours, when he wasn't doing very well, that it was a obligation to buy. Um, and we were talking about being skint. It did seem a bit silly. But uh, once he got signed for two and a half million, I don't think there was a single person dissenting, uh, saying it was a bad thing, uh, even if he was just a squad player. But um, what's key is that... Uh, it's not just Roy, it's the fans that absolutely love a man that just runs up and down um, like his life depends on it. So the fact that he can finish as well, which we hadn't seen before, um, and he's got confidence, is pretty good. A um, couple of uh, listener comments. Um, 
you know, re- really top quality ones. Uh, CPFC FPL uh, wants us to discuss how big IU Schlong is. Um, we did, so I think everyone's seen the uh, the tune that people are trying to get people to sing. Uh, and Ethan wants to know why IU is the second coming of Jesus. Uh, so, good, good, good <laughs> questions, people. Good questions. Yeah, and on Instagram, there were a few comments as well. People wanted to talk to, to us about, you know, how amazing IU is. That was uh, Zach Hedgecombe. Lewis Patterson has said, how many goals do we think IU will get this season? Um, well, Chris, you wanted to chip in with a comment, so answer that question first. How many do you see how are you getting? <laughs> it's the answer to that question. Um, you know, so yeah, right. I've gone for a, a very, very finite and specific figure as you do um i mean i think because the the big thing about ie is that actually he's not a striker that i've we've said this a lot of times he's not for me he's not a number nine but what he is is a palace player who puts the effort in and you know i mean he's also demonstrated some quality over the last couple of games in particular with his finishing um but the effort is the thing that you know others have picked out you know you've both mentioned it as well um i like the way that almost shamak style he has dipped back into midfield picked up the ball and then run with it and that's clearly what he's best at is that running at players and scaring them so you know long may it continue long may we see more of it i hope it happens more than 12 times i hope i'm wrong but you know i reckon it's kind of that and others others are going to need to chip in as well well, can I firstly address something? Um, he literally is a number nine um, <laughs> because he's number nine. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I don't go along with that. He, he described himself as a striker. I think the fact that he's been played like wide forward or, or as a winger elsewhere, and I've also seen him play sort of in behind another striker as well. I think that perhaps is a little misleading in how he potentially sees himself. I mean, he, he's showing all the instincts of a. Uh, of a, of a proper centre forward at the moment and someone who can lead the line. Now, there were doubts about that last season. He had a couple of good games. I think there was one against Southampton where he just led the line absolutely brilliantly. But it just it wasn't consistent. And I think perhaps the system we were playing didn't really um, suit him for that. But, you know, the way we've lined up, particularly in the games against United and, and in this game um, against Villa, I think that really has played into his hands because he's been very... We talk about Roy, and this is a real strength of Roy, as much as we've criticised some of the other things that, that Roy does. But one of the real strengths is that consistency and knowing what your what your job is. I think he has a very specific job, um, both offensively and defensively, in in the system. And I think he's he's comfortable with it. He looks like he's comfortable with it. Um, and one of the things I think really has inspired him was the fact that he he won that place back from Benteke. You know, he played against. Everton and, and was dropped for the for the game against Sheffield United, and I think getting him straight back into the team after a disappointing team performance against Sheffield United, I think it's, that also gave him a lift. That it was kind of a, a sign to him from the manager that you know what I saw how good you were against Everton, and, I, and I'm putting you straight back in because you know the guy I picked in place of you didn't cut it, and I think that's a that's a big plus as well. You may have just answered a question that Vince Flynn brought up on Facebook. Um, asking about whether I use a different player than last season um, because because of his confidence um, and how much that's affected things and and um, that you know you, you you've probably highlighted there one of the main reasons why he has more confidence. Um, I think personally, I would say that our definition of of what a striker is um, is 
perhaps a bit dated. Um, people in in their heads, you know, still think of um, sort of fox in the box style what Benteke was in the sixteen seventeen season as a striker. But uh, in the same way as um, fullbacks are not what they were when we were growing up, I don't think a striker is either. And and he seems to tick a lot of boxes, like you say. Um, he does a, a lot of roles, and. Um, it's great they can finish because we've had plenty of those players, like you say, Shamak before, that can do them all other than put the ball in the net. If he can do that as well, then two and a half million is going to seem absolutely incredible. Uh, and one yeah. more thing to discuss, sorry, before you carry on. Um, Lester Conway wanted to uh, ask about the lack of respect for Palace in general and especially Jordan Ayew's performance on Match of the Day. Well, I think there's a, there's a lot there and we will talk about the, the main sort of lack of respect and perhaps how how the Grealish incident was highlighted. We'll talk about that later. But I think in general, it's a criticism that a lot of teams have about the media in general, if that's fair. Um, Because there is, perhaps understandably, because the biggest numbers of viewers and the biggest amount of attention comes with the bigger clubs. And I think that it's kind of natural that the media will play to that. But it is frustrating. And I don't think we're the only club that feels this way. I don't think we're, we're singled out in that manner. Um, but I get it. I get what's being said, Chris. Well, it's also a very simple question of, you know, what was the story other than, you know, the incident yesterday, which we'll talk about later. Um, you know, the headline would have been established Premier League team beats newly promoted Premier League team with predictable goal after man sent off, which is, you know, not a headline at all. It's not a story. Whereas there were other games where, Things zigzagged. There were lots of goals. You can understand why we weren't in the top three, four, five matches on match of the day this time, whereas we were uh, a week or two ago. And you know that that will continue to happen, especially while we're not a recognised, established, long-term Premier League team that is glamorous. Uh, well, it just brings me to uh, something that happened on the Back of the Nest Twitter yesterday. If you're not following at Back of the Nest, uh, or is it no? Let me double check. It might be out back of the nest CPFC, actually. Um, it is. It, I mean, that, uh, it's back of the nest CPFC. Oh, there you on, go. Yeah, Instagram. yeah, sorry. Out back of the nest. Yeah, forget me. Uh, a Villa fan uh, was noticed saying, personally think the goal should have stood, but Villa has to get used to this, unfortunately. The big club always gets the decisions at home. So we retreated it saying, wow. for the first time ever, Palace are the big club. Now, uh, I mean, Villa, historically, are a much bigger club, so that's just... Uh, yeah, says something. I don't think their fans covered themselves in glory at all yesterday. We'll cover that in a minute, I'm sure. Um, with the the stewards baiting and, and the the weird guy that went viral with his sort of monkey face talking about um, how they should have had a penalty and going mental. Um, That's tradi- but, it's a traditional Brummy face, just so you're aware of that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, so... Uh, to talk about uh, big club bias and stuff. Uh, apparently, that's us now. Uh, but one one interesting thing I did also read. Um, apparently, we're now the tenth longest serving club in the Premier League. As in, we've been in the Premier League the tenth longest, uh, which Crazy. is quite shocking. Just quickly giving credit to the Villa fans for one thing they did do that was positive. They joined in with the song about the EFL. And if anyone doesn't know what that was, if you weren't at the game, um, this was to do with the um, scandalous treatment of Bury FC uh, by the English Football League, um, which has been, you know, so Bury have been expelled after a very, very, very long time in the league. And it's a massive shame and it's not their fault. 
not the club's fault that uh, they had owners who uh, didn't treat it with the stewardship and respect they should have deserved. Um, so our uh, fan base in the uh, singing section, the Ultras, put up a number of banners and there was a song um, about how the EFL were not good people. And I mean, if you remember the e- if you remember the EPPP song, it was the same song as that, but just slightly changed. It's a good song. No, look, it's, it's obviously we won't go into a huge amount of detail about Barry. I know the guys covered it on the preview show as well, but um, I saw Steve Parrish's comments um, about owners in general, and there's there are there's so many different sort of rabbit holes you can go down with it because yes, you you know the whole fit and proper owner thing is is important, but at the same time, it's very those particularly lower league clubs. It's extremely difficult. Unless there's someone with degree of wealth who is a fan, you're kind of, you know, there's it's either a bad owner or no owner, and and no club potentially at times as well. Uh, and there's all sorts of people preying on the smaller clubs, and there is a huge divide between the two things. But you also can't have a situation where other football clubs and other people in, in involved in football are asked to bail people out because, you know, I think Parrish made the the, the comment that if we somehow filtered down more money to them what's stopping that owner spending that money as well and still having the same problem it's a it's a real mess but that the onus is absolutely on the football league and and the, the authorities in the game to resolve that issue a little bit of a tangent there but to drag it oh go on chris you wanted to jump in go on. just to say that i think there should be some kind of a bond that club owners have to give to the league that is there for that exact purpose for when a club needs to be bailed out and yeah, that way it's a kind of collective security. Just a thought. It's a thought, and it's a good one if that is practical. The the argument on the the other side of that would be that bond might put off more owners, and you might get more clubs going to the wall quicker. So it's it, like I say, it's an absolute minefield, really. But anyway, dragging it back to Jordan Ayew, I want to make one other point, um, which is there's a lot of attention been made about the effort and the work rate and the commitment and and you know and, and the sheer sort of tenacity that he brings but I really want to draw attention to the to the ability and skill that he's showing as well in particular yesterday was a real highlight seeing him shielding the ball on so many occasions but in particular shielding the ball almost in the corner and then using his skill to get past three four players and and smash a shot that if it had gone in my word would have been goal of the season already so I I just want to make that point that he's not just about work rate and, and effort is you know he's a very very talented footballer as well um so hopefully um we've sung the praises of jordan are you enough in, in our opening section um but i'm sure if he carries on that way we're gonna have so much more to talk about for him throughout the course of the season i didn't give my estimate as to many how many goals he'll score but mike i want to get your estimate before i do uh is this an estimate for how many goals or how long the schlong is um, um, you could I, potentially combine the two. Okay. Um, oh, they're going to be quite similar, aren't they? Um, this is sort of talking a dozen. Um, I, I reckon. I reckon he's Dion Dublin esque, um, and I reckon he will score a fair few goals. I mean, he's got two already. Um, we'll, we'll see which number is larger. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going for 43 goals this season. He's going to score. Or <laughs> um, well, you know, why not? Eh. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get uh, into some some of the reaction and discussion around the game. Um, so first up, 
just a very very quick chat amongst ourselves on on what was different, what was what changed. I mean, you could argue it didn't really change that much from the Man United game. Same set of players, slightly different bench, but um, the system to me looked very much like a four three three. Um, drop into a four-five-one out of possession, which is something I've been banging on about for ages. Uh, I'm, and, and I've just put in the document here that it means I'm right and that Roy listens to back of the nest and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, uh, I don't really mean that. Although I secretly think it. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I was really encouraged to see that, that he stuck with that and tried to. It was quite clear that, you know, obviously we weren't going to play with the same level of uh, reservation that we played against Man United with. Um, so it's nice to see the four five one tweaked into more of a four three three, and and that sort of fluidity, particularly with Zaha starting out on the right but being allowed to move about. Very encouraged by that. Absolutely, and it's took a while. I mean, people have been banging on about it for ages, including us. Four four two has often meant that we don't look like we're going to break teams down. So the fact that we keep getting results on the road or did last season. Um, with the four five one, it just it's not a difficult thing to go. Well, we'll try against the team that usually it would be the four four two. Try a similar system to the one that's been successful away from home. Um, and I know people are have been on our case a bit, saying that we tend to be quite doom and gloom. Someone called it a doom merchant about Roy. Um, he's gone and done the right thing. Um, he's gone and done what a lot of people have been hoping for, but. On the on the downside, it's took him damn long time to do it. Um, so it's a bit of six of one, half a dozen of the other, really. But it, it's it's great it happened. I mean, we we created plenty. Um, uh, credit to credit to Villa really because they tended to 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 leave it so that the shots had to be from um, the wrong side of the defence, um, and it, it was starting to look like um, it might be another nil nil draw, um, but. Yeah, I, I absolutely spot on that it needed to happen. Um, and I, I don't think that we're overly criticising Roy by saying that because, you know, it's pretty pretty obvious, isn't it? Delighted to see Schlupp back in the starting eleven, and given an opportunity to show what he can do in that kind of attacking role. And I'm sure we'll review his role in certain key instances during the game. On the other hand, um, you know, not so happy about Townsend not starting. And I think there's probably a conversation to have about that, about why it is. Was he rested? Was he dropped? What's going on there? Um, but, I mean, the third point, and it's a slightly facetious one, is, you know, I'm not sure if there are uh, other Palace podcasts out there, but, I mean, if, if we're the most negative, then, you know, that's a worry because I think we're, we're generally quite upbeat but you know other views are available i just want to uh go to the the townsend point uh for a second and say that um obviously right back was still joe ward who has been absolutely exceptional we've got some comments this week again saying good on him um but you do wonder whether james mccarthur perhaps um against sides certain sides particularly with Grealish on that side um, would back up Ward a bit more than Townsend. Um, Townsend's defensive side is still great, but um, this is what Roy uh, thinks he relies on more and perhaps MacArthur is the man for that. Yeah, I think nail on the head there with, with Townsend. Roy kind of hinted at it when he when he first dropped Townsend and he talked about 
you know, he said, oh, you know, Andros isn't a bad defender, but, and then as soon as you do that, <laughs> you know what you're saying, really. It's it's the defensive side of Townsend's game that that Roy is, is thinking. And, and you're absolutely right. It's because he, he feels that uh, Ward needs more protection in, in that position. And just to mention Joel Ward, uh, played with a groin strain, hadn't trained all week as well. And what an absolutely heroic performance in those circumstances. And, you know, I, I, I for one, have been on Ward's case at times, not because I don't think he's a, been a wonderful player for Palace, but because I'm concerned that for a full Premier League season that we'll get exposed in that position. And, and Roy's comments would probably back that up when he's talking about the fact we need another right back. So all of that aside, um, I'll quickly just jump back to the doom and gloom merchants that we were called. Um, I just want to make it absolutely clear, we're not doom and gloom merchants because we don't sell our doom and gloom. Our doom and gloom is available entirely for free. Um, it, and it always will be available for time <laughs> entirely for free as well. So enjoy the doom and gloom entirely gratis and um, perhaps purveyors might be the better word next time um, for that one. But no, in all seriousness, we've, I, I think it's worth addressing now um, and, and we'll probably address it again <laughs> throughout the course of this, but um, we have been negative and, and on reflection, perhaps at times overly negative about Roy. Um, when you look at, the number of points we've picked up. I think it's slightly arbitrary to measure it from February, like people are doing at the moment. But even Roy jumped in on that statistic, so you can tell he's very keen on, on making that point. But, you know, we're sitting fourth in the table, seven points out of four games. It does make an absolute mockery of, of some of the negativity, including the negativity on this show, and including me suggesting that I'd had enough of Roy as well. I, you know, I'm quite happy to have that rammed in my face all season. I don't really mind, because it means Palace are doing well, and ultimately that's all that I want. But, you know... We'll, we'll talk more about that in a bit, um, but I think it's time we hear from the listeners and we'll get some further game analysis off the back of this. So first up, we've got James. Hi, guys. James here, just with a couple of thoughts from the game yesterday. Um, first of all, Gary Cahill, what a class act. Uh, it's been an absolutely stonking signing for us already. He seems to bring the best out of the defence around him. He's a leader um, and, and a good footballer in himself as well. So, yeah, what a signing there. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, do you think there's any way back for Ben Teke? I mean, um, it make, seems to make such a difference that uh, having a, a forward that can actually score with his feet and is confident in Jordan Ayew at the moment, um, I just don't see any way back in for Ben Teke. So, cheers, guys. Well, do that in reverse, really. So the Benteke question, and it's come up as well uh, on some of the other com uh, communications we've received. So basically, I think when James points out having a, a player who can kind of attack with his feet, I think that is probably key because we haven't been playing, as we've talked about, to the to the to Benteke's strengths, but we are playing to IU strengths. Although ironically, we're putting an awful lot of crosses. Uh, in the Villa game, there was a, we kept doing this, a similar move. One of the wingers would go, you know, wide players, sorry, would go um, down the side, whether it was Wilful or Jeffrey Schlupp or, or PVA on the overlap, cut back, knock it back to usually Luca, who would then swing the ball into the box. And, and every time it was to essentially across to nobody or and one, at one occasion it was uh, Coyote who'd got at the back post. So I could see, it, it, you know, you can kind of imagine Benteke sitting on the bench going, well, guys, come on, why are you crossing now? I'm not there and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but you know, if IU plays like that, there's absolutely no way back into that team with Benteke, particularly if we're, if we're sticking with that system, which really does seem to suit the players. So that's kind of addressing that point. But the signing of Gary Cahill, 
I mean, anybody who was, and there were loads of people who were so negative about it. I think when it actually happened, a lot of that negativity kind of drifted away and people kind of went, oh, yeah, actually, really good player. And just because he's 33, we're, we're probably not right, not got no business writing him off, really. But the performances against Man United and the performance against Villa were, were superb, very committed, big talker, really big talker, which is great to hear. Um, and you can tell he, he's he's said an awful lot in the press already. Um, you know, he, he talks extremely positively, talks great about his new teammates, and you can tell he's just really enjoying being back playing football. Just want to mention again when you said about when we got him and people were negative and stuff, um, particularly on Twitter, people deal in absolutes when it comes to signings and rumours of signings. It's like, oh, he's amazing, or oh, he's crap, um, and people dismiss someone off a vague gut feeling or a bit of match of the day analysis and you know none of us are, are Chelsea fans and I've tried to avoid watching Chelsea like the plague um, so I've seen Cahill enough but I've never paid particular attention to him um, you sort of have to judge once they've come into the club but um, when when so many people say good things about someone, it's unlikely that they're going to come in and, and, and not be decent. My worry was that he wouldn't be fit enough um, for a while to, to, to be much use, but clearly his fitness wasn't a problem, despite the fact that he barely played for Chelsea last season. So really there was no way it was going to be anything other than a success. Um, and it's a, it's an added bonus that he's, he's vocal uh, both on and off the pitch because th- that's sorely needed. Um, and there was actually a comment from someone. I'm sorry, I haven't got it in front of me, but you'll know who you are. I'll try and find your name. Um, wondering whether um, Luca's sort of downturn in, in fortune recently um, means perhaps it's time Cahill gets a go, uh, uh, you know, maybe when Luca isn't playing um, with the armband. I think the armband's kind of academic to a certain extent, in that leadership is leadership, regardless of whether you have a title. And it's fairly apparent that Cahill is a leader on the pitch. He had a fantastic run at Chelsea prior to the latter neglected stages of his career. Um, Now, you might be tempted to look at how Chelsea are getting on so far without him, um, and thinking, you know, that getting rid of him was an absolute triumph, and Zuma's doing brilliantly. You'd be fairly deluded, uh, in my opinion. I think Cahill's been fantastic for us. I was one of a number of people who um, was a little bit concerned that we were picking up an offcut from a top Premier League team, but who hadn't used him, and were we were going to were we going to be getting damaged goods or you know someone who's you know, no longer in it, but his heart's clearly in it. The quality is absolutely apparent, and yeah, I'm really excited about seeing him perform. And I think that you know, when we do reach a stage where we've got, I mean, Sacco came back uh, on uh, well uh, in the game against Villa, which was brilliant. When Tompkins comes back, there's going to be a real dilemma about how you select two centre-backs from those three, I think. And that's going to be a really interesting issue as to how that's resolved. Well, it's good to have that level of competition in there. And I think Cahill keeps the shirt until, uh, you know, until someone takes it off him and that might not be all season. But, you know, again, with injuries and, and potential loss of form and suspensions and all that kind of stuff, I think everyone will play their part. 
Um, so look, yeah, great, great signing, and uh, and thanks for that, James. Before we jump back into some more of your comments, uh, I'd like us to go back and have just have a quick chat about some of the game incidents, if we can. Uh, so I think probably the biggest chance of the first half comes from uh, James MacArthur quite early on. We'd had a little bit of a shaky start in the game. I think Villa were very good from the off. And I definitely had my concerns that once again, we'd gone into the game a bit too passive. But I think 20, 25 minutes in, we started to take a foothold and never really let up after that. And I think, you know, as as we did, it was uh, Jeffrey Schlupp who put the ball into the box and James MacArthur, you think he's just going to side foot it in. And, you know, if we're being kind to him, there's possibly a little little bobble up just as he goes to side foot it and it actually catches his ankle, but unfortunately goes over the top. But it was great to see Macca getting in the box um, for an opportunity like that, you know, just outside the six-yard area. That's what you want to see. You want to see your midfielders in there taking those chances. And it was a, it was a shame he didn't score. Like you say, it was a tough chance. Uh, he didn't have a, a, a time to, to have a touch first, uh, slightly behind him. Um, it, was, it was great that he was in there uh, watching it back. It was a little bit, well, in that he was the only person in there, uh, and it shows that he still he still has that hunger. Um, but hopefully, that that kind of thing will be needed less uh, whilst he's playing because he'll be the one in the box. Uh, we'll see. Definitely, but I, you know, I don't think it will hurt to get um, to, you know to get those midfielders up and have more options. And I'll talk a little bit like, a bit more about that in a bit. Um, I talked about IU's attempt when he sort of dribbled it across the penalty area and. Um, then sort of smashed in a long-range curling effort that went just wide. I think Benteke had a, a late effort in a, in a similar vein. Um, but also, Luka Milivojevic, will, well, he he was absolutely gutted when Tom Heaton pulled off a very good save. Um, right in front of us, that one, uh, Mike and Chris uh, in, in blocky there. A beautiful strike, just really wanted it to go in, but but not quite. Yeah, well, effectively, it did go in, but with Heaton just doing what he had to do, you know, and, and it was a fantastic save. I think I turned to you and said that at the time. And it, it's, yeah, I mean, Heaton is an amazing goalkeeper and we really shouldn't be too, I mean, we've said about not being negative on the podcast. Um, we could have won that game by quite some distance if Heaton hadn't been on really good form in that game. I, I think we did really well to, you know, carve out those chances and he did well to keep them in the game. That was a great, great shot from uh, Luca as well. It just brings me on to uh, a comment from Stephen Barton. Stephen Barton, sorry, not sure which of those. Definitely Stephen with a Stephen, PH. Yeah, yeah. Uh, set pieces. How many years is it now since we scored from a corner? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a good, good question. Um, again, we had we had an absolute ton of corners, um, but it never seems like Luca quite gets from a dead ball, um, you know, for, sideways on from a pitch, um, the same quality that he gets either from a shot outside the box or when he's shooting from uh, central. So um, that is still a frustration. It does annoy me that Luca takes corners as a general rule, and I've broadly been quite negative about his corners for quite some time. Having said that, I'm fairly sure that I remember it's definitely either late last season or early this season, so it must be late last season, that I was moaning about that. And I literally turned to the bloke, literally, um, turned to the bloke next to me, um, you know, who's now uh, no longer sitting next to me because that's Hambo now and we're not sitting, we're standing. All right, mate. All right. <laughs> too, too, too much information. Sorry. Focus. All right. So um, I turned to the bloke and said, 
this corner's going to be useless. And it wasn't useless, and it landed on someone's head, and it went in. So I'm sure that's in the last year. Um, I think that kind of proved, was the exception that proves the rule, which is, you're right. You're right, um, Stefan, Stephen. Stephen, you're right, Stephen. Our corners are usually useless, and we should get someone else to take them. Right, Chris, have a little lie down, mate. You seem to seem to lose it a little bit there. Um, but no, in all, in all seriousness, we we talked about it after the game, uh, Mike, Dear, and myself on, on a video that we were doing. And um, I, I sort of make the same point here, really. I think because, particularly in our in our sort of most successful periods, we are we've always been really that team that that gets that little extra edge from from having good set pieces. You think back to you know Pulis and Warnock and, and people like that, where we we just constantly practiced our set piece routines. We had good delivery, and it, it, we were a real threat with it. And I think we've moved away from that, and I think part of that is quite a few teams have moved away from that, really. But the, the delivery definitely is a concern. I'm not gonna not gonna argue that. But I think you can overstate it. I think it's very difficult to get that perfect delivery from, from a corner position and whether it's Luca or Townsend or, you know, whoever, whoever we've got on the pitch when it was Kabai, there was all, there always seems to be this, Oh, we're so inconsistent with set pieces. Well, I think everybody's inconsistent with them to a degree because defenses are so well marshaled. Nothing's really a secret anymore. There's so much sort of studying of, of how teams play that it's very difficult to, to come up with something that generally surprises the opposition. You think, you know, you really need to get a run on people. You need to get that little bit of luck. You need to, you know, get away with perhaps a bit of blocking, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think set pieces are quite as, as easy as people make out. But I, I think part of it's our history. Our history of, of being a strong set piece team really does uh, mean it's, it's further in the forefront of people's minds than perhaps it should be. Uh, and obviously, it's a lot easier to score them in the Championship than it is in the Premier League. Got to remember that we had we did have four in a row, um, literally, literally four in a row um, yesterday, and that only comes from um, the ball being in the box and pressure. So they must have been half decent. Um, and people saying it should be Camarasa. Well, Camarasa was fucking terrible against Colchester with his crosses Great. as well. There was one that flew over everyone. Um, so uh, I'm not sure we've. We've got a ready-made answer to that problem anyway. The only other thing that's worth pointing out is I think Cahill had a pretty damn good chance. And whether that was from a cross or a corner, I cannot remember. I think it was a corner. Um, it was a headed chance and it should have gone in. And he was very, very unlucky. I think it might even have been a decent save. But um, possibly from Heaton again, obviously, is the only goalkeeper they've got. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been Heaton, yeah. Are you okay, mate? <laughs> it's the gin, mate. It's um, the gin. No, look, he... Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm struggling on my third can of, of Fintons. Mmm, Fintons. Um, no, it... <laughs> sorry. I'm never going to get a sponsorship from Fintons Gin, am I? Especially not if I just say, mmm, Fintons. But um, no, look, it, I, there was also, I think, a chance for Coyote as well, um, which was saved by Heaton um, too. But uh, look, I think it's, it's a good question, but... I think, you know, bottom line is we won the game anyway. And um, let's talk about how we won that game with Jordan Ayew's goal. Um, little pass down the side from Jeffrey Schlupp. And, you, you, I mean, first of all, Ayew's pointing where he wants the ball. He split the, the two defenders quite well. Mings doesn't initially go with him, um, which I think is a big mistake because if he goes with him straight away, it's a lot harder for Ayew. Yes, he gets that little bit of luck, but he gets that little bit of luck because of that attempted touch between the two players. If he doesn't get that touch first and foremost, it doesn't kick up off of Grealish. Um, but after that, just to, 
just to have the strength to hold off Mings and to fire that shot away when he's got defenders flying in on him. He's being pulled back. Um, lovely finish from close in and jubilant scenes in the Homesdale was well in the whole ground obviously but we were in the Homesdale going absolutely mental and it yeah fantastic moment yeah I, did, I, I felt a bit of uh, a bit of pain yesterday in my shin um, and when I got up this morning I realised I have a, a, a massive gash uh, where I'd where I'd smack the seat in front of me uh, when we scored so um, yeah <laughs> a, a, a block is, is causing the kind of war injuries that people said it would well that's what you want isn't it you want those yeah. it's alright if you've got those physical uh, ailments caused by celebrating goals you don't mind those no true true it was an amazing goal and very, very, very well taken. And, you know, let, let's let's focus on the fact that it had been so long coming because after their sending off, and we haven't even talked about that at this stage, um, we were clearly the dominant team. We were the better team. We were carving out chances, but there was that... that nagging worry are are we gonna end up in a kind of Cardiff or Burnley situation where it just ends up being nil-nil because we've made loads of chances and not put them away I had that chance and absolutely made the best of it it was a really special curling shot and you could see the moment he hit it that it was going in and yeah the celebrations I mean they, they definitely encompassed again two to three rows of people um, you know, I hugged people I didn't know, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, I heard them complaining about that, but um, the um, <laughs> yeah, I say it, it, <laughs> no, there was you, you make a good point there, and I, there are things that we will talk about, which you know, around the the worries of not not putting chances away, but I, I still had some reservations about how we approach the game in, in in some ways, and I think some of the listener clips we're about to come to will cover that. So, if you want to send your clips in the future. Uh, just add on WhatsApp this follow the following number. Oh, I nearly said that right, didn't I? The following number of 0203 575 1266. And then just send us your voice messages, as many have done. And the next one who did is Matt from Bromley. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Afternoon, Beck of the Nest. Uh, great to meet you outside the ground early on today. Um, really pleased with that result. Should have been a couple more goals, but again, not finding our finishing form. I'm sure that will come. Still don't think Roy got exactly right. I would have probably played Maya for starting over Schlup. Schlup just looked exhausted. Didn't like well from the right-hand side. He just looked not bothered at all. Um, would have been good to see Camarasa get on the pitch as well. Love, 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 love Jimmy Mack. But I think Jimmy Mack needs to be one of those players that maybe 
comes on after about 70 minutes rather than starts the game. But that's just my opinion. Great to see the uh, many fans there. I miss the Everton games. It's really good to be back home. Looking forward to the rest of the season. We are Champions League currently. Happy days. And that's echoed uh, by Christian on Twitter. Uh, Asking, should we be benching and Josh, we've discussed that. But uh, Maya and Camarasa are at home whilst playing three centre midfielders. Well, I want to pick up on that. So first of all, the, the mention of three centre midfielders is something I, I meant to bring up earlier. And we, I talked about it previously where we have been getting outnumbered in midfield. And, and I felt that's been a, a problem this um, sort of at home last year. Um, and then obviously the Sheffield United game this season. And the fact the central three just works so much better. Um, but yeah, you've got to potentially look at the fact that there is, because there's a central three, you could arguably pick in one of those three positions, someone who's that little bit more creative, that little bit more forward thinking, and perhaps not as solid defensively as, as Roy prefers. And there are a couple of moments in the game that really made me feel the, the, the same way that, that, that Matt suggested there, which was, um, I think it was first half in particular, there were a couple of breaks where players started to drive forward. A couple, I think, you know, Jeffrey Schlupp on one occasion, Wilf on another, and IU through the centre on another, where I looked up and it, the, there was only one midfielder going with them where and, and two sitting. And the way Villa were playing, there wasn't the need for that. You know, I think you've got to sometimes react to the game a little bit. And if, you're, if your system is to keep those two players back, and you suddenly realise, oh, hold on a second, there's probably not really a need for for two sitting midfielders as we break. So why don't two go instead of one? Um, I think one of the instances ended up with Luca being offside, which was, <laughs> I know you turned to me, Mike, and were quite surprised at that. But that's kind of what I mean. Um, so that's, if you've got someone like Max Mayer in there, or indeed Camarasa, that's probably more what you'd get, a player who's much more naturally inclined to go forward with the attack. But the argument will always be, well, we won the game and we were creating chances anyway, so we didn't need to change. And if we had, that might have been more of a risk and we might have been caught out on the break. The IU goal that won us the game was partly a moment of magic from him. And some of our better opportunities prior to that fell to Kiate, who I love as a player, but hasn't yet scored a goal for us and isn't that kind of a player. So, you know, there clearly are some valid reasons for concern in terms of future games and how things work out. You can extrapolate lots of different theories from four matches, um, which would suggest that, you know, teams like, you know, top-level teams are going to be in the bottom half if on the basis of this current league table. So, you know, we can't over estimate the importance of these four matches but you know having done having said all of that at the end of the day it was a, a really important and a good result for us and you know at this stage we're well ahead of the graph in terms of points we need per game so so far so good well it might be early in the season but I've just seen since I've got uh, Sky Sports News on in the background that Wealdstone are five points ahead uh, in the Southern Premier League so the Wealdstone Raider <laughs> Uh, must be absolutely over the main right now. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, just again on the on the the Dean Merchant thing, um, it's great when it comes off, uh, but there's going to be other days where Twitter's going to be full of people going, "Well, we really should have had Camarasa or Mayo on because we could have created more." Um, and the 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 flip side to having two 
um, central midfielders that are, are working in front of the defence is that I'm always pessimistic and I've often wanted two when there's only been one. Um, and really, until that goal went in that wasn't, um, at no point was I worried that Villa were going to score because they were totally blocked out. They, they When they came forward, they created nothing. Um, and we've got to give credit to Roy for that, I think. Yeah, of course we have. Uh, you've got to give credit to Roy for an awful lot. And I think that gets lost sometimes when we're when we're reviewing games, when we are frustrated and disappointed that we haven't gone on and, and scored more goals or or taken advantage of, of the chances that we've had, or and not taken risks when we think, you know, I can't help it as as a Palace fan. I can't help but think even now when we're sitting fourth in the league, I can't help but think, yeah, but we we should have beaten Sheffield United, shouldn't we? And if we'd done that, we'd be on we'd be on eleven, no, ten points. I can nearly count. And then, oh, we should we should have beaten Everton as well if we'd just been that bit bit braver at home. Um, but then, realistically, were we going to win every game? Probably not. Um, that's not how football works. But I can't help but think that. Um, and I, you know, I, I totally get I get the point that you kind of have to you have to accept the benefits of what Roy does outweigh the negatives and not try to get dragged down by those negatives all the time. But it's tough. And I think, I'll go back to saying it, the home record last year was just very, very tough to take for, you know, any, particularly of those people with a season ticket watching, watching going, going to Selhurst and just not getting that joy, that joy that we experienced yesterday. And it's amazing, really, how the, the difference just that goal makes. When you think about it, they'd had a player sent off in the 54th minute and we did not react. They had two substitutions before we did anything. And if IU doesn't do what he does, I'm telling you now, Roy gets ripped apart um, on on Twitter for inaction and ripped apart on the message boards for inaction. And he gets questioned again and again and again. It's those fine lines in football that make it obviously so compelling, but they also <laughs> make it maddening because we, we can only talk about what actually happens. And we're all absolutely delighted at the moment. Cannot believe how well we're doing. And I feel so stupid for questioning Roy, but... It's that that tiniest of margins, and this is a completely different show. Well, we talk we talk for an hour, and if we don't talk about what things could be tweaked to be better, then we probably wouldn't have an hour to discuss things. Um, but just on what he was about to do, um, anyone that wasn't at the ground yesterday, uh, and Joss and Benteke were literally lined up. I've said fucking literally again, haven't I? Um, were lined up ready to come on uh, and the goal stopped them and they, they, they sat back down. So he, he was ready to act, um, but the goal was on 73 minutes. So we're talking about the typical 70 to 75 minute Roy change again. Um, and in some cases, certain games, that, that is going to be too late. And all I wanted to come in and quickly add is, you know, I mean, it's easy to have views at the game. It's easy to have views not at the game. All three of us were at the game. And indeed, we're in three seats in a row. So, you know, we we had the same perspective, it's fair to say, but, you know, didn't sort of agree about everything. And, you know, I hope that's coming out in the discussion. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, you, I've talked a lot about the benefit. You get a real benefit watching the game if you're sitting at home watching on TV or watching on streaming, the fact that you see everything multiple times and you can see various different angles of things and all that kind of stuff. But one thing you can't do is is sort of look at the system as a whole or player watch, which I really don't recommend. And we'll talk about why I don't recommend that in a minute. But you just, you know, you do get a completely different perspective. And it is worth pointing out we all had that same view. And although we don't agree on everything, 
we have we have similar views on, on incidents because of how we saw it. So, um, and that's why it's really important that we hear from you too. And next up, and when I say you two, I don't mean the band you two. I don't really want to hear from them. None of them are Palace fans. Um, uh, and, if there's you know, anyone I don't want to hear from, it's you two. <laughs> yeah, in fact, just don't even listen, you two. I know what your problem is. However, let's hear from some actual listeners who are Palace fans. And next up, it's the legendary Lord Zonka. Hi, Lord Zonka here. Uh, Eagles, uh, my man of the match has to be Coyote. Coyote, however you pronounce it. But he, he's been a revelation last couple of games. Even Jordan Ayu, uh, I thought was really good. But Coyote, if only he could finish better, he, he scored a couple of goals yesterday. But I, I thought he was, if you look at the highlights of match of the day, uh, he's prominent in those. And I watched it live as well. And I just thought it was fantastic uh, performance by him. And uh, fair dues to the fact that he's um, he's coming through like that. And I think K- uh, Cahill as well, brilliant signing. Can't believe Arsenal didn't sign him. And they got Louis. I wouldn't swap him for Louise, that's for sure. And uh, Wilf looks like he's back, uh, getting back to his old self. He hasn't sulked. Obviously, he's a human being. He's going to be a bit frustrated with what happened. But fair play to him. I thought he had a decent game. And I thought it was really funny when he smiles when three players... Uh, in the first half uh, were marking him and he saw the irony of that. But I thought all in all, it would have been such... I know it was uh, the decision. Grealish didn't dive. That should have been a goal. Uh, But we got the lucky bit there and it would have been an injustice if they had equalised because they were absolute... Usually, teams that go down 10... We haven't got a great record against 10 men. Uh, But they went down... they They were playing with... Like they had 10 men when they had 11, and when they got 10, they were you Villa were useless and they were dirty and they, they were cynical and they deserved nothing from that match. And I and I was so frustrated thinking Palace are going to get nothing at just a point that would have been such an injustice. And, fa- and now we're sitting a great start to the season. Um, brilliant, I'm so happy. Well done, Roy. I was one of his biggest critics at the start of the season. I thought maybe we needed a change and I'm not used to gut reactions. I don't like this manager outset, but I just thought maybe he, you know, I don't know, getting on, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, brilliant start to the season. So happy. So I'm an EC1 Eagle, the only one round here, born and bred in EC1, should be an Arsenal supporter, but no, I'm an eagle because my dad took me down there when in 1969 and I've been faithful to the calls ever since. I love the Palace and I'm so proud of them. Eagles. Wow, Eagles. What a fantastic message from Lord Zonka. I love this guy. and I, Lord Zonka, I hope that you continue sending us messages all season because this is making the show for me um yeah as someone who's listened to it a hell of a lot as well as spoken on it myself um i love your contributions so move on from that there's so much to chew on in what you've just said yeah there um so where do we go well well, let's start with because i think He's given a view on the he's given a view on the Grealish dive. He says Grealish didn't dive. Well, our next clip will present maybe a different view. Spoiler alert! Uh, so we'll leave that for the sec. But a couple of big things in there. So let's talk about Coyote or Coyote, however <laughs> <laughs> you pronounce it. Enjoyed that massively. Um, huge game from him, wasn't it? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about him, but I think the midfield works so much better with him in it. There was a few games last season when that was true. A few where he perhaps 
underperformed or, or was playing a, a slightly more reserved role. But I like how I like it when he gets more involved in in pretty much everything up and down the, the pitch, really. Uh, and I think Luca benefits from that. I think MacArthur benefits from that. He's got loads of energy. You know, he's he's a big presence in there, and I think we benefited hugely. And it was a great shout by Lord Zonka there. Um, you were going to say something, Chris, and then you stopped yourself. How frustrating. All I was going to do was agree with you, so then I thought, well, that's pointless. But uh, basically, Kyoto's fucking effing amazing. And we should... <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. He, sh- he should start every game, but we just need to make sure the right instructions are there. I'd always like being agreed with as well, Chris. I don't feel that you can't do that. It's, um, you know, if, if, th- if this show is anything, um, it's got to be a bit of an ego trip for me, isn't it? I've not, I've not got much else in my life. Um, sorry, just, uh, depress myself, depress myself a little bit there. Uh, you also mentioned Cahill, who we've talked about already, but I was interested to hear Lord Zonka view that Wilfred Zaha is back. In his opinion, um, I mean, there were some negative views on Wilf, and we, we caught a little bit of that earlier in one of the other clips where it was said, you know, he didn't look too comfortable out on the right. There were plenty of people on Twitter who saying he's still not really up for it. I saw very, very different thing myself. I thought from minute one, he really wanted to be involved in everything. I think he played for the team. He wasn't playing as an individual. He was always looking for a simple pass if one was available. And as the game went on and as we pressed and pressed and pressed and became slightly more adventurous in the second half, particularly after the sending off, I think he really started to look like his old self, a couple of drink jinking runs, some lovely chops backwards and forwards, putting defenders on their backsides, that kind of stuff. And I really started to see some good signs from Wilf there. And let's not forget some you know, that the sending off is, is possibly one of the most important parts of the game. Um and he's the one who's who's made that happen. So you know, I've got nothing but praise for Wilf in that game, and I, and I don't see that there being anything. I think mentally, he's always going to be affected by what happened uh, in, in the summer, but I think it, it's behind him now, and he's really kicking on. So I thought it was a positive performance from him. I think it's important to engage with the fact that there were some people who were annoyed with the fact that he was clearly in an offside position when Palace were attacking down the right hand side in the second half, and he didn't rush back and then reacted in a negative way when the ball was passed to him, which he couldn't take. And he spent some time facing the opposite direction, going, what the hell are you doing? Um, arms spread at other players. And at that stage, there was a bit of booing from the Homestale end of the ground. But with the exception of that, he had a fantastic game. You've cited all the different things um, already, so I won't, relay them, drawing the foul for the uh, sending off. And indeed, the fact that Lord Zonka pointed out, you know, the fact there were three players around him, yeah, we're used to that. And even then, yeah, people claim, oh, Zaha's got this attitude. His attitude there was loving the fact that he was drawing that attention and even so still, you know, between three of them, they just managed to get the ball out for a throw. So... Yeah, a big fan of his performance yesterday. I, th- I think he, he had a really good game and, yeah, looking forward to seeing more of him this season. I think he had one of those games um, that if you're watching on TV, you wouldn't necessarily have noticed him. Um, a lot of stuff off the ball, as you say, heavily marked, and it, it opened up a hell of a lot of space for IU. Um, and I think if it was a game where IU was on replacing Zaha, um, he would have had a fairly anonymous afternoon because... The pressure was very much off, taken from Wilf. Um, it was one interesting 
um, thing that I hadn't noticed until DR tapped me on the shoulder. He'd got into a big argument um, with Luca on the pitch. Uh, couldn't quite see what that was about, but it, it was it was nasty. So it, he had the spike, but he was spiky. So it, that's usually a sign that he's up for it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, he wouldn't be wealth if he wasn't, you know, pontificating and arguing about everything. And it's probably right that the person who he ends up arguing with is, is the captain who's probably making a point to him that he might not want to hear. But, um, I, you know, back on the point that Chris was talking about, about the booing, I didn't really understand it or, or, or get where it was coming from. I thought initially the, the reaction was because people were annoyed that he didn't run for the ball when he was clearly offside. Um, and people kind of perceive that as a, as a lack of effort. But I didn't really see it quite as, as Chris did in, as, in terms of people annoyed with how he reacted to being passed the ball when offside. Maybe it was, but I, I just generally thought it was a bit of a misunderstanding. And I don't really think that people should be you know, thinking the worst about Zaha in every, every situation possible. I, I really don't. But yeah, anyway, I'm just sort of re-emphasising the point. But, um, but yeah, good game for me. Completely agree with you that they shouldn't have been. But I think they were just for the, you know, just important to make that point. We're not always negative on this podcast. <laughs> no, no. In fact, I, yeah, anyway, no, let's not keep going on about it. Uh, next up, we've got a clip from Ebo. Hello, Ebo here. Um, just a couple of things on yesterday's match, really. I mean, a great win. I think that was a dive at the end, to be quite honest, having looked at the videos this morning. Um, so the uproar there was quite funny to uh, behold. Uh, especially Jack Grealish going over to the fans and then realising it had gone. Um, yeah, a bit disappointed with the lineup at the, before the match. Really thought it was quite a negative one. Um, very little creativity in midfield, and uh, kind of think that's the way it panned out. It wasn't really much creative coming from the middle of the park. Um, but yeah, man of the match vote. I'd say it's got to be Ayu, hasn't it? Um, ran his socks off, worked hard, held the ball up well tried to get other players involved and uh, took his goal superbly um, making us all swallow our words isn't he and uh, it's good to see I mean I like that you know I like a player that comes in with a little bit of uh, sort of uh, you know not not really a fan backlash but a bit of uh, fan negativity about them uh, you know myself included um, and, and he's you know he's proven himself worthwhile um, I must say that I did think he would be a good squad player but yeah, he's looking like he's, he's a player that in certain circumstances he's, he's the man to start with. Um, bit disappointed when we went down to 10 men and we didn't really push on. Um, Roy didn't really make a substitution that we could have made, um, putting someone a bit more uh, gifted on the ball in midfield, either Mayo or Camarasa, or even putting Bentec out front with Ayu, which I think would have caused them problems, especially as we were putting, again, lots of decent balls into the box at head height without really a... Uh, player who would attack them in the air but anyway yeah good result and like I say are you man of the match for me have a good one lads brilliant thanks for that Ebo much appreciated and we'll use that as an opportunity considering we talked I think we've talked about the rest of the points to discuss the Grealish dive or didn't dive Ebo saying it was a dive Lord Zonka saying it wasn't um so I'm going to jump on my soapbox right now and um I've watched it too many times and mainly that's because producer Mikey decided that I was losing my mind by saying it was a dive. Um, I've watched it at full speed. I've watched it at slow in slow motion. I maintain that, that um, Jack Grealish Superman's under Gary Cahill. Um, I think he is looking for that contact. I think the interesting thing about it 
is that I will make the point, if it wasn't given, if that wasn't given as a, a simulation and the ball runs through and they score, I'm not going to complain because I, I think it was open to interpretation and, and the referee had the same interpretation that I have. But it's pretty clear from, I mean, the media frenzy at it is ridiculous in my view because I don't, it's people calling it the worst decision that they've ever seen and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, we're, we're a club that's seen in, in living memory, two goals actually go in the net and bounce out and not be given. So, you know, <laughs> to me, it's nowhere near the worst decision ever. But I think if if you look at it, first of all, he does go to ground pretty easy. And, we you know, we've talked about the com- the comparisons between players who do that and, and our own Wilfred Zaha. And, you know, we can't be too hypocritical when we say that, you know, moving at pace, you know, you get a touch, you go over. And it's pretty clear that Zaha gives him a little nudge in the back, but he doesn't go over then. He drags his foot turns his body into Cahill as he goes past him to try and initiate some contact. There's a brilliant photo that um, I think Bex on Twitter sent me uh, that was posted on the BBS, which shows clear daylight between Cahill and um, and Grealish as he goes down. I think if he doesn't do that, you know, he doesn't give the, re- the referee the opportunity to see it that way. He's definitely, definitely looking for a foul, you know, but he's, he is also playing on. Um, so I, look, I can understand why Villa are annoyed, but I, I go with Ebo and this. It was a dive. And most importantly, it was extremely funny. Views? <laughs> um, I mean, I've I've said a lot there, but you got anything, Mike? Yeah, I mean, this, this is something that could rattle on for a long time. Um, and basically, this is a lot of people sort of saying that they're adamant um, that their side was in the right. So... I uh, was quite enjoying looking at Villa fans yesterday. Um, so that was absolutely 100% a penalty. Um, but I actually think that there was a couple of pundits on Talk Sport today while I was driving. Actually, I've got to say something really weird um, as, a, as an aside. I was listening to a guy called John Cross as I drove through a town called John's Cross. Um, so that yeah, that was weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they were they were sort of saying it was Ray Houghton and someone else. Um, and they were saying that... that it, it can be a situation where it's neither a foul nor a simulation. It's literally just falling over. Um, and we've said that about Wilf a lot before. And I know from one of the angles it looked like um, he was doing the Superman dive. But similarly, it looked like he'd, he'd lost his balance initially from the Wilf challenge and then went over at the end. Um, but it didn't look like a foul, and the pundits agreed. So I, I, I feel like it was it was not much of either. But from that, the fact that they scored um, brings up a whole load of situations about VAR. And the one thing, the one comment that I did want to bring up from Facebook um, is uh, from Ben Edwards, who said, after making a point um, about IU and being visibly moved when he scores, he just said, don't talk about VAR. Please don't talk about VAR. So um, let's we won't do that, Ben. We won't do that too. Won't we? <laughs> well, right. I'll let Chris talk, but I might. Well, there's probably not a huge amount of need to bring it up. So I'm not going to go there until you do, Chris. Um, the thing about that is he clearly, clearly massively threw himself into that situation. Uh, I'm talking about Grealish here. Um, it was a spectacular act of cheating and I'm glad it was punished in the way it was in that nonetheless, you know, he, he did a brilliant pass to another guy who scored a goal, which was completely fair. And yet 
because he cheated at the same time, hedging his bets, he ended up getting screwed over. Ha, ha, ha. It's happened to us so many times when we haven't cheated. So, yeah, sorry. I'm not going to spend a lot of time crying over that. Um, should VAR have reviewed it? Let's see what Chris says. Well, no is the first is, is the main Agreed. point there. They they can't they can, they can review they can review whether it's a penalty or not if it was in the penalty area. But the whistle, what the, the, apparently the challenge wasn't in the penalty area because the free kick was given just outside. I think um, probably more importantly is the whistle goes. And I did enjoy the BBC's attempt at a conspiracy of whistles where they showed a picture of the referee with with no whistle in hand. And then he briefly went off the screen and there was a whistling noise. And then when he came back on the screen, no whistle in hand. So clearly it was a, an imaginary whistle or something like that. But I don't really, didn't really understand the point they were trying to make there. But there was quite clearly a referee's whistle before the ball went in the net. And unfortunately for Villa and hilariously for us, that is that is life. That's what happens. Um, bottom line is if he it, if it doesn't make that stupid dive, it doesn't count. I'm just going to quickly read out some comments from, from Twitter on it, uh, just, just to just give it a bit of a flavour of the general opinion. So Bald Eagle 68 he's a diving cheat, simple. The media needed something to get excited about this week, so it's us. Um, we then had... <laughs> Bear with me one second. Can't tell that I'm scrolling as I'm talking, can you? Um, it's next up from Julian Chenery was pretty certain our friend Kevin uh, gave the free kick to pass outside the box indicated to me he felt he started going down before he got anywhere near Cahill uh, which is absolutely right Mark Drew sent me a uh, picture of a man diving into a bath saying in another sport he would have got a gold medal for that dive Jakey says free kick on the edge of the box no penalty Michael Hart says 1980s haircut actually loses his balance outside the box and then he makes a meal of it once inside the box. Ref was correct. Besides, you'll not get the calls until you get a haircut into the 20th century and pull your damn socks up, which I found just a fantastic tweet. Thanks for that, Michael. Uh, goal, goaler, CPFC. I was willing to give Villa the benefit of the doubt. Would undoubtedly be annoyed if it was Palace, but Zaha momentarily touched him and pulled, pulled back knowing the score. Cahill saw it coming and pulled back. Grealish dived. Martin McGrath, Grealish is a fake, flirted with England when he played for Republic of Ireland at all levels, wanted to move to Spurs last year, yet declaring his love for Villa. No respect for him whatsoever, cheat and a fake, tried to get Cahill sent off with that dive. So, um, and John Burr, I'll get another one in there. Media said well, the Grealish got up quickly so he wouldn't have dived, looking for the penalty. However, this might well have been because he heard the referee's whistle, thinking that he'd got a penalty as to why he sprung up. Thanks for, there's loads more, but just wanted to make, make it, very, very clear that everybody's backing me up, uh, and including Chris Clark there, uh, Mikey. So I know you're listening in and you thought I was insane. Well, then we're all insane, aren't we? Yes. The lunatic is on the grass. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So last comment in the general review of the game, um, sort of an opportunity to talk a little bit about Jeffrey Schlupp. So uh, it was in relation to the video that we made and a comment that I'm going to throw him under the bus here that Mike made. He referred to Jeffrey Schlupp as poor. Uh, in that video. And David Bray, who also called us Doom and Gloom Merchants earlier on, uh, got in touch to say that Schlupp drew seven free kicks and was instrumental in numerous quick breaks in the second half. I only saw him lose the ball once all game. We totally outplayed Villa, particularly in the second half. On another day, it could have been three or four nil. I wish I'd been there for that. I went to, off to collect my Homestale Road t-shirts, which then weren't available. Um, but I would have vehemently disagreed with the idea that Schlupp was poor. I think Schlupp was very, very positive. I, I love seeing him in the team. I think he's, I mean, he's mobile. He 
is a great passer of the ball. He's he's really enjoyable to watch, and he loves his football. So yeah, he's he's also inspired the best song, which Hambo doesn't like, but I do. Um, <laughs> and lots of people joined in with that as we walked down towards the Porsons after the game. It really depends what you want. And what you would say that the formation was. So if it's a four-three-three, you've got you've got Slop on the left next to Ayu. Um, and my, I would say, from the perspective of creating moments where we could score, um, it, it just wasn't enough from him. Um, having said that, absolutely right. Going back, which is obviously where he was bought initially as a as a left-sided defender. Um, he does what Hodgson wants from MacArthur as well. Um, he wants proper cover um, for PVA, and, and that's great. Um, but if you're going to play a four-three-three or four-five-one, whatever you want to call it, I, I don't think he did anywhere near enough to warrant being in that position. No, what I'm, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I was talking to you during the game about him. It was first half, to be honest with you. And the funny thing is, watching back the highlights, you can actually see how many times that he is actually very much involved in key moments and and as as David Bray has pointed out winning some very important free kicks I think what got to me and I, and I made a big mistake and that big mistake was I did I don't know why I did it because I know it's a stupid thing to do but I player watched Jeffrey Schlupp and I did it towards the end of the first half and I did it at the start of the second half and, and towards the end of the first half when we were in the ascendancy I became really frustrated because I think it's just something about his style. You know, he, he, I think my gut feeling is that he's, he could so much more capable of getting up and down that pitch than he actually shows. He, he jogs an awful lot when I think he could be taking a risk going forward or could be working harder to get back. And, but he just seems to kind of occupy a certain space at a, a relatively low pace for a lot of it. I suppose it's because I, I kind of expect more from him because of what he's capable of um, when he's running at pace, either with the ball or without it. I think he, you know, we've seen in, in this game that he's capable of putting defenders under pressure. He's capable of being a ball carrier and we need more ball carriers in that team when we're trying to break teams down. But it was one particular moment right at the start of the second half, and I think it was Zaha who put the ball across. And the and, and the thing is, Jordan Ayew, I think, had played the ball to Zaha, and was the, so was therefore not in the penalty area, and there was nobody else there. And Jeffrey Schlupp was back on the halfway line jogging, and that that wound me up so much. And the problem is that it then sticks in my head that he's done that, and I, and all of a sudden I can't I can't see anything else. Um, but you know, Roy's not stupid. Jeffrey Schlupp obviously is doing the job that he wants him to do. But what I'd just like to see that little bit more from him is him busting a gut to get in the area. You know, even even for the goal, actually, it's really funny because he plays the ball to Jordan Ayew. And we all know what happens. Jordan Ayew gets past two players and scores. But Jeffrey Schlupp plays it to him and then just has a light jog towards the edge of the box. By the time the ball goes in the in the net, he's just slightly just jogged into the penalty area. I'd love to see him just breaking his neck to get to get forward, to give Jordan Ayew another proper option, not the sort of soft option back. I think that's that's where I am with it. I see those things and I perhaps have an expectation from Jeffrey Schlupp that's perhaps not fair. It's perhaps not what he's been asked to do. Um, and I also think we have to factor in the fact that he's probably a bit tired. He's come back from injury, only played a couple of games. He's probably still getting up to full pace as well. So he's probably getting a bit knackered during games. And I think, you know, running at full pelt like perhaps I'm expecting isn't isn't really fair. 
So there you go. That's that's my general view on it. Just to add one more thing, um, just had a quick look. He's made four crosses so far this season in four games. Um, and I mean, it's not just his fault, but that that is something that it would definitely we need added to. And um, he's definitely got it in him. That's the frustration. He's an excellent player. Um, so you, you might be right. It might not be quite up to speed yet, but, um, you know, Four, four crosses from four games. Not sure it's four full games, though, is it? So, you know, we need to be mindful of how many opportunities and where he's been played because it seems to me he's not always been solidly on the left as well. So you're, you're right. He's played. He's only yeah, yeah, played yeah. three this season, hasn't he? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And look, the one that you mentioned about the crossing, that's, that's another thing. He has actually got fantastic delivery with that left foot. Um, one of my favourite goals from last season that... Um, to, uh, that Nav and, and, and Dom mocked me for because I talked about it as my favourite goal of the season after Townsend had scored that worldie against Man City. Um, it was when uh, I think it was when we played Grimsby when um, when Schlupp put in this absolute peach of a cross to Ayu to head in, and I just loved it because it was just a, a standard goal, and that was my argument. It's like it was just a normal goal. We just scored a, a regulation goal where we knocked the ball down the wing. Someone crossed it in from a you know, from the left-hand side with a really good cross and a centre-forward headed it into the net. And it was just like, wow, we can we can still do that. Remember that? Um, but anyway, but yeah, let's 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 call it what it is. You know, Jeffrey Slup, I've not, you know, hand on heart, I've not always been convinced about, and I, and I think Max Mayer is a better player, but that doesn't mean that I think Jeffrey Schlupp is a bad player. And when you actually look on performances in the team that Roy sets up, Jeffrey Schlupp at the moment deserves that place over Max Mayer. And we have to admit that in, in the system however much we feel, um, you know, in terms of, of talent and all that kind of stuff. So, look, I, you know, I'm not I'm not anti-Jeff Schluff, but I, I, I probably was at one stage, but um, but he's definitely winning me over. Um, and that's why I just think he's capable of more. So last clip coming up and just a little little bit more chat about Roy. We've covered most of this, so we don't have to talk about it for too long. But um, I want to hear from uh, from our good friend Tom from Maine. Hello, gents. It's Tom up in Maine in the USA here. Just finished watching the Villa game. How jammy were we at the end there with that Grealish decision? That is so jammy. A few points. Firstly, to all the naysayers that criticize the signing of Ayu, credit where it's due to Dougie and Steve. They did a great piece of business there. That guy can contribute goals and add that into his harrying, his dribbling, his close control, his hold-up play. We've unearthed a gem for literally 10 quid in a packet of, packet of skips um home form now we've got a result here today but we still have problems when we're given possession and i'm just wondering why the heck did we sign camarasa why do we sign creative midfielders and then play defensive midfielders is there a disconnect between roy hodgson and dougie i just sung their praises for signing iu but what, what, what's going on at our club? Other clubs sign good players and they come into the team and they contribute. We sign players and they sit on the bench or don't even make the squad. What's going on there? Uh, well, thanks for that, Tom. And also thanks for your message during the week where you clarified for me that uh, Maine is both famous for lobsters and crabs. Uh, as you described, lobsters and crabs are in play. So they're both in play, which was which was good to hear. But an interesting question from Tom there and, and rightly pointing out the credit for the signing of Jordan Ayew, particularly on the terms that we got him for. But... Um, we sort of touched on this a little bit last week when I was saying that perhaps you can see that, that Cahill and, and McCarthy and uh, you know those are players that, that Roy wanted and Camarasa maybe wasn't someone that he had targeted. 
Um, but he does this. He, he does give players, you know, quite a lot of time unless he has to play them before he, he starts using them. And I think that's all about him trying to educate them into the way that that Palace play, the system that he has, and understanding the jobs that they do. But as a fan, it can be very, very uncomfortable to watch, particularly if you're watching a game where we're crying out for that little bit of creativity. Well, Camarasa was awful, absolutely awful against Colchester. So, you know, for me, he's got to demonstrate he's got some place in our starting eleven, and at the moment, that's not the case. McCarthy, I enjoyed seeing against Sheffield United obviously not the best performance that we had um but on the other hand you know he started a little boxing match with that Muppet uh McBurney uh from United so bring it on but yeah he's he's got some fight and we've got to see about Camarasa but yeah I'm I'm really not sure at this stage at the end of the day you've got to sign people see what they're about especially when they're late signings, which all of these were, see how they bet in, see what role they can play. And yeah, for me, for now, I think I'm content with the people we've got. No, I think that's... that. I understand what you're saying, and I also understand the point that Tom's making, but you sort of touched on it there that, you know, Camaras didn't play particularly well against Colchester, and that's something when we're talking about Roy and we're talking about the systems and the, the gripes that we've had. I don't think that that should be lost about just how bad a performance that was. And I was quite glad that um, I ended up having to give my ticket to your mate, Chris, to be honest with you, that I didn't have to watch that. But um, but I've, I've been fully informed how bad it was. Um, I only listened to the second half on the audio because the uh, Palace audio stream didn't work for the first half. Um, but, yeah, hey, um, you know, we don't want to dwell on, on negatives here. Um, I think... I think you can you can always you're always doing a certain amount of guesswork in terms of why we sign players and and particularly with the the Premier League in the way that it is you have to have options you know Roy's always going to have the way that he wants to play and the players he sees that fit that system best but I think sometimes you're signing players not for the the first team you're signing players to give you an option off the bench or or to play differently against slightly different opposition and that gets into where we start arguing about what when is Roy actually going to do something different but as we've seen against Man United and we've seen against Villa he, he has changed the system he has adapted he has looked at different ways of of getting more out of the team and that might see an opportunity for for the likes of Mayer and Camarasa in the future because you know, now three central midfield berths, now wide forward berths, and that gives people the opportunity to get back in the team and, and state their claim. But the big thing is they've got to take those opportunities. And that's tough if you're not playing and you, you suddenly get an opportunity in the team. If you know it's going to be one game against League Two opposition in the Cup, it's very, very hard, uh, particularly in an overall poor team performance, to actually shine. Uh, but you can't argue that, that you know, neither Mayer nor Camarasa um, of those mentioned actually did anything against Colchester to, to to keep their place in the side. So I think that'll do. We've uh, we've gone on quite a quite a long time there. A few bits that we didn't cover and a few bits of co- uh, communication from yourselves that we didn't didn't quite get to. Uh, one quick shout for Dan uh, Dan of the South, who, who asked uh, his question for us this week was how many we ta- will we take to the San Siro next season, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but won't be taking too seriously <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I think um, other than that, uh, oh yeah, shout out to another Dan, unless it's the same Dan that, um, that we met prior to the match uh, amongst various other people. 
but Dan in particular because he gave Dr a really really hard time about about cooking his chicken too much. Um, I sort of left him left him talking to Dr, and then I just heard from from behind me a shout from Dr of "My chicken ain't dry," which is actually Dr's new catchphrase. Um, but anyway, thank you very much uh, for listening. Of course, subscribe on your relevant podcast apps rate us five stars check out the love sports show tuesday 8 till 9 p.m and of course the preview show will land i suspect thursday this week um it won't be this week it'll be next week because international break isn't it and then we play spurs so um so check that out but it will be love sports shows both tuesdays uh and then we'll be back to review the spurs game at some point cheers to mikey cheers to my panel chris and mike and we'll catch you soon bye Well, I'm drinking gin as well, but I'm drinking gin and tonic out of a can, uh, and I got Lossy. these cans from from Lidl. <laughs> so it's uh, it's 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 Finton's gin, you know Finton's, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, so this Finton's uh, London Dry Gin is created with seven carefully selected botanicals, but you're not allowed to know what they actually are. Um, but can I say for eighty five pence, it is it is delicious. Finton's, mmm, Finton's. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.